Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, what have you been up to? A, do you know that's a standard response? Because you know something, we, we've had this on cold calling where people say, "How are you?" It's just like a standard. Was question. that slurp? <laughs> <laughs> I've just but realised just, I've just slurped coffee it's just into like the a microphone. Standard question, isn't it? You don't have long enough for me to explain exactly how I am. Overall, I'd say it's about seven out of ten. Yeah, I mean, if you really ask me how I am, how are you, Johnny? Oh, actually, I'm really tired. The dog ran away yesterday. The dog ran away. <laughs> you worry too much about a dog. When our dog runs away, we just go home. I think, well, if it's daft enough, it'll come back in the end. I'd be very sad if I never saw the dog again. Is it not like- insured? <laughs> the dog is insured. Well, you just get another one. I'm very fond of my dog. They're all the same. They're anyway, not. how are we getting on with this book? So, we're. this is the third part of our four-part breakdown of Amp Up Your Sales, he said, into the pop filter. And this book basically is a collection of little tips for you. Yeah, it is. It's. It's. And I'm not saying that I, to belittle it. That's what it is. No, I, I wrote earlier on in my notes actually about this book. It feels almost like a collection of his blog posts. That's a good point. It could be actually. Yeah, uh, as somebody who's written a book that actually in, in reality is the best part of a collection of a load of blog posts, it is is how it kind of started to feel as I've read through it. We're on part five. Which is amp up your prospecting. Woohoo! Which Chapter is a subject. has got a good title. Subject dear to my heart. It's a cold call or not a cold call. I did like the fact he saw. Uh, he, he, <laughs> He's written a poem like uh, uh, that. I like that. Actually, Mike like and I are working. Mike and I are working this client at the moment. They're making people write poems on their. Uh, oh on their yes, we are. Yeah, form. I'd forgotten about that. Um, which has been has been met with quite a bit of hilarity, actually, in the office. All you've got to do it. All you've got to do is do a poem and you get through. They just want to know that you're game. Yeah, yeah, of course they do. They don't care. And, I mean, it's a big enterprise software vendor, but I think what they just want to know is that you're not precious. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So anyway, so I like this. Few subjects in sales today generate as much controversy as cold calling. Correct. He is right about He's bang that. right. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And then so, he goes on a little bit and he goes, page 125, he goes... Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. So well, let's, let's just, Andy's got a few opinions on, on cold call. He's got loads. I really like it. Yeah. He, he, so he basically, he basically isn't that keen on it, but he also accepts, listen, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yes. He says. You got to get it done. The key takeaway is that while cold calling's place in the sales world is, cha- sales world is changing, as long as the lead deficit exists, it's still an essential task for most salespeople. It is. Or what I don't agree with, is he said, um, cold calling is not selling. Although it's often the responsibility of a salesperson, cold calling shouldn't be confused with selling. As you have learned in this book, selling is about helping customers get the information they need to make purchase decisions with the least investment of their time possible. Is there any part of that definition that sounds like cold calling? Nope. 
Selling is about providing answers that result in orders. Cold calling is about building interest in your product or service. Now, you see, I don't agree with that. I think that cold calling is part of the process of being a sales professional. Yes, but if you bet, I mean, I don't agree. I agree with you, not him, by the way. But if you think about his sales funnel, he said that clients enter further in down the sales funnel. Yeah, it's just the off. Yeah, so absolutely. he's using his own information, his and, own paradigm. And remember, that. I think there's a context here that's missing, which is I'd be interested to know what the profile of a lot of his customers, his customers, yeah, yeah, people that he's providing consulting work for and doing training for. I'd be interested to know what that profile's like. I would imagine it's quite enterprisey. Ooh, I don't think so. I think it would be mid enterprise. So I don't think he's dealing with Oracle and IBM, but I bet he's dealing with companies that have got. 10 to 20 salespeople, maybe 30 across the globe. And he basically says, um, isn't building awareness and interest in your product the responsibility of marketing? Hmm, yes it is. If that's the case, then why on earth are you cold calling? Well, you are cold calling because your marketing department isn't doing a good enough job. Hmm. Now, I don't agree with that. Why not? I, well, I do agree with it, actually. I agree with it wholeheartedly because I actually believe that in a perfect utopian business world, the technologist should develop technology that is so bang on that punters will buy 30% of where you should be to target should be just because the technology is right. I believe 30% of why a person hits their target should be because marketing get the message right. And I believe the other 30%, all right, I'm mathematically a bit off here because I've got to 90%, but I believe the other 30% should be because the salesperson makes a difference to the point on those deals that wouldn't have happened had they not been there. Well, you're not talking about lead generation then. Well, I am. I'm saying that marketing should generate. But oh, equal, I see what you mean. I see what so, but, but do I believe that cold, you should be cold calling because your marketing department isn't good enough? No. I think that there are certain roles and it, it, it's not as black and white as that. If I'm paying, here's a great example. I'm talking to a fellow at the moment who is leaving a job where he went from £100,000 basic to £150,000 basic overnight. What did he expect was going to happen? Where's that 50 grand go that and got given six, to him? And six months in, he's finding himself looking for a job. And in the conversation that we had about what was happening that had taken him to a place where he felt he needed to move so rapidly, he said that he was under massive pressure to have a bigger pipeline. Right? Well, clients paying 150 grand, mate. Exactly. They don't care. It's not. It's more than that. It's, it's the, the, there's a cost of sale. All the cost of sale in that, including lead gen, is given to him. Hmm. But in other companies, cost buy, of sale is split across sales and marketing. Correct. It's not with him, it's given to him. The client thinks they're going to buy a miracle with that £150,000. They think they're buying entry into your coveted black book. They think they're buying... A, an ability they think they're buying a superhuman ability to open opportunities and they don't believe it's marketing's responsibility they believe for 150 grand you produce a miracle or go correct and they're right actually they're absolutely right so do i believe it's the responsibility do, you, do i believe that he's under pressure to be cold calling at home because his marketing department isn't doing a good enough job no i don't i believe that's his problem so i think it's a little bit grayer than that but equally, I don't want to denigrate what Andy's saying in the book, which is, actually, if you've got to go out and do some cold calling, then I'm right, you've got to do some cold calling. You're saying the lead deficit, your job. Yes, I like that concept of a lead deficit. Yeah. And what he's alluding to here is, 
How many leads? He's alluding to some real simple things that are, are well, very valuable. One of the previous chapters talk about how many leads do you need? How many leads do you need to hit your target? I wonder if we did a straw poll of our candidates What's tomorrow. The point? What's the point? If, you, no point? if we took 100 salespeople tomorrow and said, how many leads do you reckon you need to be able to hit your number? I reckon five out of 100 would be able to answer that question. Correct, yeah, 100%. You're absolutely if that, 100%. I reckon five out of the 100 would say, well, how many leads do I need? Well, what, uh, 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 uh. I say that to clients, you know. So what's target? Million pound. What's the order value? 100 grand. Great. What's your close rate? Um, <laughs> right, so how do you know somebody's going to hit target? Um, anyway, I want somebody that's got a proven track record in the RP software, Mike. <laughs> that's what and there comes though, a point it? where you think, right, I've gone, be- I've gone beyond... Well, that's always the same. You go to that point where you think, I've gone beyond demonstrating expertise now and I'm just making this client feel downright... I'm just embarrassing him now. Yeah, I'm just making him feel like an idiot now. Chapter 25, I like this one. Doing what it takes to succeed. Love that. And he talks... And what he's talking about is, again, he goes back into this concept of the lead well, deficit. Says, how much prospecting must, must I do? I do. And it, what am I good at doing? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, there, was, there was a really interesting post on LinkedIn this weekend where somebody uh, brought me into a conversation about um, Bradley Sugars, who wrote a book that you and I are both very fond of that we wrote, read when we first started the business. Oh, uh, The Business Coach. Yeah, where he talks about the the basics of modern business, which is leads times conversion ratio. Nelly's Baker, The Business Chef. Yeah. Good book, that. Leads times conversion ratio equals number of sales times average order value equals turnover minus costs equals profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what he's basically saying is a not dissimilar element of that chassis, isn't he? Yeah. How much prospecting must I do? What am I good at doing? What prospecting activities is most effective use of my sales time? And I think if you sat down with Andy Paul and you brought him in to do some consultancy and coaching, I think he would probably take some clients. I don't think he'd take every client, but I think he'd probably be taking some clients into it. Great. How many leads do you need? How many cold calls do you need to get a lead? Yes. How many How many of those leads convert into sales? Uh, average order value what? Right. So the first thing you need to do is to do X amount of cold, call, cold calling per week to get somewhere near your target. It does. Now, chapter 26, he does actually reference something you were talking about two chapters ago. What's that? Sell more. The difference between pros- between activity, activity and, and prospecting. Yeah, yeah. And what in what way was I alluding to it? Because you were talking about, uh, he said that prospecting isn't selling. Yes. And you were saying, well, prospecting is selling. It's just further on. It's just a part of the selling process. Yeah. And I think he's going to talk about that a little bit more here. Yes. And you know, I really like that. Sell more. Yeah. Sell more. Do be more. Sell. It's a great concept, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So what he's talking about is different ways you can sell more. He gives some examples here. And some of it's great. I, I've got to say, one of the things I'm going to do is he said, number one is prospect. Prospect with existing customers to assess whether they have new requirements for your pros- products and services. It's pretty so, obvious that that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But actually, it's there, isn't it? You know, what's the first thing you do? Ring up your existing clients and see if they need anything else. Yes. Next bit, call existing customers for referrals. I do that. I'm going to call all my clients this week and I'm going to say, right, need a referral. What have you got? They all know someone. They all know somebody, and they all love me, and they're all going. And they all. It's not like there's none of them who I couldn't ring and say, "Come on, I always do a good job for you. Who would you recommend to me?" I agree. Um, and I'm and I'm going to do that. Go to a network event. Not sure about that, and I'm not sure any of our audience think about that. Yeah, I'm not going to go to them. I'm definitely not. <sighs> Full of recruiters. Sh- well, I, I c- Full of recruiters, suit tailors, and people that sell PCP car finance. You show me a networking event that's of value to me in my market, and I might go. But what I normally find is, as a recruiter, um, you are effectively as welcome as a fart in a crowded lift. 
It's not so much that small cult, small people, you know, small company owners go that own like bathroom companies. Oh, what the sort of standard local business networking yeah, yeah. events? Christ, God no. Um, ask your contacts on LinkedIn for an introduction to a mutual connection. Try that. Do you ever try that? Yeah, I do sometimes. It never bears any fruit. No, I, I, I don't think it does either. Uh, but that's often, I think, because the size of our network is so great. There's not, not that many that are that close. And also, there's an art to that, which is you have to write the referral form. But even then, people, it doesn't bear much fruit, does it? No, I don't think so. Um, he says, it's important to fill every hour with selling. It's important to do it wisely, persistently, and creatively. Like that. Just the concept of getting people thinking about being creative. I agree. I think he's very powerful. And then he's into chapter 27, which is all about being worth a second call. What do you make of this one? Well, he tells a story, doesn't he? I don't think any of his stories are true, which, which I don't... Which I don't <laughs> That's a harsh thing to say. Oh, we'll find out. And he says, so page 138, when you're prospecting for new customers, getting the first calls are relatively simple. Once your plan and process are in place, following them is simply a matter of execution. I do agree with him, not many people do. However, he is right. The hard part is getting a second call, which in reality is often sometimes the first call, which signifies that the customer is preparing to initiate his buying process. So what he's saying is... You have your first meeting or your first canvas call or your first whatever, getting the second call is the hard thing. So you phone up some some person and say, listen, Bill, are you recruiting salespeople? He goes, no, I'm not. You go, oh, great, great. No, when will you be? He says six months. You go, great. He's saying, actually, in six months' time, how many of them go, all right, Jonathan, you said you were going to call in six months. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, where it's actually call. a genuine invitation to continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how many of them have you just put in your diary for six months where you ring up and actually you're making another cold call? Yes. And, and he's right about that. And absolutely. And he's therefore saying, actually, you've got to think about the value you deliver in that first call to the point at which you will be brought back in for the second. Whether that's part of a canvassing process that's call one, call two, call three before you even get an appointment or a face-to-face -face meeting where the client has a first meeting with you. Do you deliver enough value to the point at which actually you genuinely earn the next appointment? Very much so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's bang right. And he's talking about warming up your cold calls with what he calls his killer questions, telling stories, asking their most important question, listening, which we've talked about a lot, and ask for one small commitment for immediate action. I really like that, actually. Just getting a little commitment from them, uh, actually asking them to commit. Well, one of the things we were always taught, wasn't it, to, right, okay, give me a call in six months. Okay, six months from now is January. Okay, second or third. Third. Slightly different thing, but yes, I do agree. Three or four PM. Four PM. Right. I'm going to call you at four PM on on the third of January. I'm going to send you a meeting request now. Yep. All you've got to do is accept it. All you've got to do is accept it. Then you know they've actually committed to the next conversation. Mm -hmm. I agree. Now, is there going to be a chapter on sales stories? Because we sort of skirted yeah, past it's that. miles away. It's episode four. All ah, right. Fair enough for us. Practicing value-based persistence. So, what do you make of this bit? Like that, but I like the concept that he had that he has several times about adding value to people. Yes, when you reach out to them, he does get this bit hundred percent right. I think. Well, what he's talking about, and and I like this concept of value based persistence. Firstly, I like the fact he used the word persistent, and secondly, it, what he's talking about is the methodical delivery of carefully curated content over a defined period of time that is designed to move the potential customer to engage in a buying process. So let's say, for example, and I'll give you my example of this is client. I speak to a client now and he said, look, we're not doing any hiring activity at the moment, but we will probably be actually doing some recruitment in six months time. Call me then. Yeah. Actually, what I would do with that is I would trigger a campaign 
that would touch that client in different ways with useful relative content to maintain my presence in his mind between now and that six month point for the callback. Yes. And the, but each con, each touch point has to deliver value. Well, that's a bit like when I sent the book to the guy when we talk about Correct. negotiation. Correct, you delivered value to him. Yes. Uh, throughout that point. And then if actually he'd said, well, I, you then you're then thinking, right, I've got four months to go. I've got four more touch points to just continue to deliver value. So on the point at which they talk about recruitment, he doesn't invite every other recruitment consultant and then he misses to the to the party. Yes, correct. Yeah, and I think that's really useful. And a lot of that you can do, a lot of that the smart companies are doing with technology now. And again, there's an argument that would say maybe that's the, the domain of the marketing department more than the salesperson. But smart salesperson should be doing that. Mm, I agree. And then we're on to... I'll tell you a little bit that he talks about here. Using intelligent tools to help deliver content to your prospect. Don't just run on emails or phone calls to provide information to the customer. Look at new collaborative sales engagement tools. I've got a tip for you, Pricey. Drift Video. Oh, you've used that before, oh, yes. wow. That is literally, listeners... Did you get a response from that? You don't know ever... I've never not got a response. Right, cool. On the, on the 10, or, 10 or 11 times I've used it, I've never not had somebody come back to me really quickly. Right, cool. And I do it via text. Oh, that's cool. So I send the drift video via SMS and they get the SMS and it's obviously rich SMS using iMessage or whatever and it's got a video of me and what it looks like in the text is a GIF of me and then what I do is I video the sale, in the background is there's me in the foreground with the background is their Salesforce lead record as an example and then I'll do a video saying, hi, I'm just looking at this lead, can't understand why it's not moving forward or, or whatever and people well, come back. That. People just come back to you really quickly, and they're like, "All right, all right, you got me. Sorry, I've been avoiding you. Uh, here's where I'm at." Or they'll go, oh, "Christ, that's cool. Where'd you get that?" Why the sound of that? Yeah, and I think that that's the point he's making is that's the value-based persistence thing. It, you combine it's sort of a combination of a combo prospecting treble. It's with, interesting with the combo prospecting treble. I still use that. Yeah, I use that was it. my one take. I mean, I really did like that book actually. But that was the takeaway I had from that book. It was excellent. If I'm struggling, my triple includes a little drift video. Like that. Good. And they take 20... Once you get your head around using it, it's killer. It really is. And then we're on part six, qualification. Doing more with less. I loved this. Did you? Chapter 29, are you selling yeah, to the right well, customers? You know I'm big on that sort of stuff. So it's interesting, uh, selling to the right customers. Because we're talking here about pipeline, really. You know, what's in the top of your funnel is going to feed its way through. Yeah. Some main reason I've written upside down on this particular page. It says top sellers don't waste their t waste their limited uh, time selling time on potential sales opportunities with customers who are not absolutely qualified to buy what they are selling. So right, I agree with that. It's the fights you get involved in, and in somebody once said to me, "It's the it's the deals you don't do." Yes. The deals you don't go after that make you successful. I'm not sure about this bit, though. Page 152. Uh, he says, The root of bad qualifying is pressure, both self-imposed and from managers, for salespeople to demonstrate that they have a sizable pipeline of sales opportunities. Sales managers and, by extension, salespeople have an unhealthy preoccupation with the size of their pipelines. I agree. That's not what you said half an hour ago. Uh, no, I'll tell you what they have an unhealthy preoccupation with. They have an unhealthy preoccupation with demonstrating to leaders 
the size what do you of th- their pipelines. What do you think when you when it says pipeline on somebody's CV? I oh, well, <laughs> uh, you, you know I've I've, I I've vlogged extensively pipeline. on this. The moment somebody says to me I had a big pipeline, I, it, it tells me that they've sold, not sold anything. Yeah, me too. Um, but I, I don't think salespeople are preoccupied with their pipelines. I think salespeople are preoccupied with demonstrating a pipeline the manager, to their manager to keep their manager off their back. I agree with that, yes. And, and I, I have personal experience of working with a colleague many years ago well, who, made once, a business. who once fabricated a pipeline. Yes, he did. Because he was under so much pressure from the leader concerned that in the end he just started I inventing shit. I worked for shit. him at that point. I yes, saw, you were over there. We seconded you over I there. Saw, and do you know what? It I started remember. off as one very small lie about an interview uh, that hadn't happened, but said person didn't want to tell other said person that the interview hadn't happened. Yep. It was a very small lie. And actually, it didn't affect his pipeline at all. But once he told that lie, it then became easier for him to tell other lies. Well, it ended up with him lying about placements that hadn't happened. And he then was they, inventing placements. And, and he's such a nice man, that Lovely man. lad. And actually, oh. if you were but to look the at the end outcome... Ended. You think, how has he got there? Well, and that's a tough, and a tough salesman. Good sales guy. Good but guy. But the pressure owned him. Good and, guy. And my, that's my point: is I don't think salespeople are that preoccupied with their partners. They're preoccupied with keeping their boss off the back. So here's an interesting one. This ne- next page, I'm going to read this paragraph out because it's so unbelievably accurate. It starts with wasting. Yeah, I your, highlighted this. It starts with wasting your limited selling time with poorly qualified prospects, who will likely not buy from you. You fall behind in your goals. You start getting a little desperate. The solution that comes to mind is that you need more opportunities to sell. So you lower your qualification standards even further and jump at any potential sales opportunity to find and talk to any customer or give you the time of day in a futile effort to make up lost ground. What I should then go and say is, and then you get fired or leave. <laughs> but that's a lot of people we meet. That's what happens. Yeah. And what he's saying is, you don't do that. Actually, you go completely the other way. He's saying be strong. He's saying be strong and you look at the you look at your pipeline and fire your shit ones. Yeah. Get rid. Yeah, and he's right Just about that. get rid. Move on. But I want to work take, on the ones worth working on. I want to take you back on the stage, though, on this, though, Jonathan. I Just wrote here, really good advice. But I want to take you back on the stage. So I've got this client, let's just say it's, you know, ABC Software. The guy, I walked into this book club a few weeks ago, and I said to you, I'm really gutted for this client. He isn't getting any result. Yeah. Qualification-wise, I should walk away from him. Ah, but you've got sunk cost fallacy here now. I haven't. I've just got loyalty to him. It's 100% loyalty to that. I think an independent sales coach, if we brought one in who didn't know me, you, the client, any of it would say, no, it's just sunk cost, mate, move on. Yeah, yes, they would say move on, but I'm not going to move on because I, I, I'm assigned to that man. And they, what you're arguing is actually you're you're there to serve him as a customer. I'm saying loyalty means the world to me, and he's very but loyal this to part, me. But the part of you that's talking, it's not a sale. That's you as the delivery operative. Yeah, that's not you as the sales guy that's won the account. If you are winning it, if actually, because remember, you and I deliver what we sell. Yes, yes. If I actually took you back and said, okay, would you go and win that customer? If you didn't know, A, that client, if you didn't have history with that client... No, no, you're right, actually. There's no chance of doing it. Actually, I think you'd look at it and go, what? So you're telling me I'm going to pile a load of work into it. It's been recruiting since May. It's been recruiting since May. The CEO's expectations are beyond preposterous. You'd go, I'm not working on that. Yeah, I wouldn't. You're right, actually. Good point. You'd qualify out. Chapter... Well, here we are. Chapter 30, the the bulletproof qualification process. Yeah. 
off, uh, 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 I've put it, often deals we lose are deals we shouldn't have got involved in in the first place. Pretty much always. Yeah. If you look at the placements where you think, shit, I got beat. Actually, I reckon eight out of ten of them, if you analyse them, you'd look at it and think, oh, why were you involved in it in the first place? You were never going to win that. Yeah, yeah. And he's right. And I think his whole talk about qualification is so valid. Um, I actually wrote here, there's a chapter where I've written best bit of advice on in the book. Go on, read out best, what you've... Best I read it out. Yes. Um, he says, you don't want to broaden the field of prospects you have to comb through to find a customer. You want to narrow it. You want to be relentless in your prospecting and qualification to find sales opportunities that are suited for precisely what you're selling. The outcome will be a much higher conversion ratio, less competitive sales situations and more stable pricing. And that I know you. That that's one of the things you and I've done well with the business over the years. Is we're very clear with where we do and don't win. Yeah, yeah. We're really clear with where we with the clients that we know we, we will make cash out of and the ones we don't. And I think he's well, the ones so we right. make cash out of. We actually do the best job with. So it's yeah, because we, we we. But our qualification process is, you know, we we engage with clients. We know where we we can deliver great service, don't we? And therefore, we win. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, but I did think that's the best bit of advice in the book. Um, and then what do you think about this difference he creates between category, category qualification? Go on, just expand on that, because so I thought that so, was very interesting. So category qualification is, I'm going to go after uh, CRM software companies as my clients. Yes. Whereas product qualification says, I'm going to go after Microsoft CRM uh, uh, sales companies because my model suits finding Microsoft CRM salesmen better than it does any form of CRM salesman. Yeah, so his point so is... is a wide arching... His point is, if you sold to public sector, which is uh, category qualification, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I sell to public sector. He'd say, no, what, well, you, what he'd say is, no, go out and sell to people who are likely to buy Microsoft Dynamics. Well, he'd say, go out and sell to people who are likely to buy... Um, a proprietary product rather than a generic brand. Yeah, so he would take it to an nth degree. He would say, not only are you He'd selling... Say, Sheffield City Council by Microsoft, but you've got a product that, sit, that doesn't sit on an SQL database, so don't canvas them. What are you bothering for? Yeah. Which and, is, you've got, and you've got the information anyway. Yeah, yeah, which, which, you know... I think he's right. Yeah, me too, actually. He's, he's right. He's saying, don't get involved in fights you're probably not going to win. So chapter 31 is interesting. It says, qualifying on price and value... Okay. Um, and, it, and, and one of the paragraphs partway down is, I once read an article in which the writer advised salespeople to avoid talking about price until they have demonstrated value of their product or service. Unfortunately, there is a fundamental problem with that advice. You can't demonstrate the value of your product without talking about your price, and you shouldn't try. Value doesn't exist in the absence of pricing information. Value, just tell me that again. Value doesn't exist in the absence of price. So he's saying, how can somebody put a value on what service that you offer without knowing how much it costs? Yeah. So, client, so I'm a new prospect, Johnny. I go on the website and I send you an email saying, hey, Jonathan, I know that you, you know you place business intelligence salespeople. You probably don't. You probably say it's something else. But <laughs> anyway, business intelligence salespeople, what are, you, what are your terms? Yeah. Now, how often do we get that? All the time. And you can't do right for doing wrong. Yeah, because if you want to say, well, actually, maybe we should just find out a little bit more about each other before we talk about whatever. Whereas this guy's saying, well, tell him it's 25%, mate. Tell him it's 25% and tell him what value you offer. Yeah. And I can't decide which whether who's right or wrong. He, um, he's saying it qualifies. It's a qualifier, isn't he? That's what he's saying. 
Yeah, you're in and you're out. Oh, right, we're not, we don't pay 25%. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to explain to you what the value of the offer is. If you're still not interested, then fine, move on. He says here, be direct with the prospect about your pricing. Salespeople have developed an unhealthy fear of the price question. I do agree with that. Yeah, What I is worth well. the rationale is, well, I just picked your price straight off the bat. No, because I actually don't know how much work's involved. Yeah. It might be dead easy in and out, or it might take a lot of doing. But that's part of our value proposition is, uh, it's different, because our value proposition is based on delivering value. So we often explain to clients, look, part of what we do is the fact that we provide this service in different levels. Blah, 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 blah. Therefore, it'd be useful to find out a little bit more about what your needs are before I can explain to you how much it's going to cost, because actually we offer different levels of service. But actually, his point is, well, why get into all of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, Why waste your t- And again, he's talking about time. And would you not be better off just talking to somebody saying, listen, it's expensive, this is what it is, it's a brilliant service, this is what you get for your money, uh, even though you're out. I can see both points, actually. I wasn't going to disagree or, or agree with him. No. You know, I'm, I, it, it made me think of one op- opportunity I'm working on at the moment where it's two weeks since the client signed terms and they came back to me last week and asked if I'd do it at shit percent. Um, and actually... Had I just been really clear, said it's that or off, um, actually, I wouldn't have wasted about two hours of my time messing around with yeah, yeah. this proposal and that proposal. The thing is, you can often tell whether somebody's uh, got any money or not to start with. Oh, the guy I'm dealing with is not a decision maker. Oh, there you go. I don't believe. Well, there you I go. think he's passed himself off as a decision maker, and I realised the other day, I thought, you're not the DM. You're not. He, he doesn't have money, authority, or need, Michael. Well, therefore, he doesn't recognise value, does he? Correct. Chapter it's thirty-two: objections and qualification. Objections on uh, objections are not potential sales ro- roadblocks. They are opportunities. Said a lot, but actually, very true. Okay, so I think mo- nowadays, nowadays, a lot of salespeople aren't even aware of the existence of an objection. Do you know, it's very interesting that I got some that, that in a feedback, in some feedback. I said to the candidate, said, it's all gone really well. I said, how, do, how is it left today? He's going to come back to you. I said, I thought you just said it all gone really well. What's the objection to putting a date in your diary? And said, what do you mean, objection? Yeah, they don't went, actually Oh, there know. we go. That's why you're unsuccessful. I, I actually think a lot of the salespeople that are floating around the market don't even know what an objection is. Yeah, I do agree with that. You're 100% right. They actually don't think, oh, crikey, that, that customer has said something there. That is a problem in the mind of the customer. And I think that's, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the show, indicative of the market climate, the economy, the, the, the growth of the sales environment. The, what do you mean an objection? What's an objection? Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, and I disagree a little bit. I, he, he's, I, he says, you know, they're not something that you can handle. I do think some objections can be handled. There's some objections that you can just, that you can just swat away. Well, some objections are actually requests for more information. And then some objections are extremely significant requests for more information or opportunities to actually improve your position in the in the account. And those ob- objections are often ones where they are surface-level objections that require you to listen, shut up, and go a lot deeper. A lot of it also depends on the buyer. Yeah. Different people just communicate in different ways. Yeah, so I think he's a bit spurious by saying, oh, objections aren't something you can just move on from, because sometimes they are. Some of them are really, some objections are thin and crispy and some are deep. Mm. Aren't they really? I liked his qualifications, so you're on the same page as me now. Um, I, I, I do this a lot when I come up against an objection. I will say, does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, actually, what I say is, are you comfortable with that? 
Because I think we can walk through an objection, assume it's all right, then it resurfaces itself. Wow. Whereas you need to close off on the objection. Oh, do you mean you actually close off? You close? Always. Always. Do you mean you handle the objection and then close for agreement? Always. All right. Well, not many of the people do, though. No. But that's... That, I always thought that was what you meant to do. Well, that's what this guy does. Or yeah. he trains people to do. Absolutely. Or, let, let's be clear, ask people to do and then Have they we saw, do it. Uh, and, you, and you look the customer in the eye or listen to them on the phone and say, right, is, are we good with that now? Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Great, move on. Yeah, correct. And you give people the opportunity and it's not like you try to kick it away. Always wants to know we're done. Right, okay, I understand that. Tell me about it. And you listen and then you close off on it when you've listened and discussed it and move them chewed it around with the customer. And if, sometimes you can't overcome them, can you? No. Sometimes you can't get past it and you think, well, I ain't going to win this now. This is insurmountable. Absolutely. So, anything else to add on that chapter, Jonathan? No, good. And I love the fact that he's talking about objections. Chapter 33, building a productive pipeline. <laughs> and the opening line is, well, the buyers were just liars. He, he said here, so he goes, it, it, so, so he talks about um, a sales guy and how he lost the sale and he said how often have you been caught in the trap of overcommitting on a forecast for a particular sales opportunity even though you hadn't truly qualified the customer for a specific product or price do you know what I actually put but never <laughs> <laughs> of course not <laughs> but that's the point isn't it a lot of these sales guys over promise because they haven't qualified and then come out with some story of tragedy yeah, and again, that comes down to often the pressure from the sales leader insisting upon forecast, 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 forecast. Yes, and and the subcon and and the subconscious mind of the salesperson finds a reason to put it into the. Forecast. Well, people are pleasers, aren't they? But you see, it's you not say even that. that. It's not even that. It's the subconscious mind protecting the. We well, see, you protecting say that. the salesman, and, and 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 adding to the. So I think sometimes people inflate a forecast because actually their subconscious mind is protecting them saying you see, my yeah, it's alright this you, deal it's alright you've met my mate the big unit who came in our office the other day I mean effectively he's a sales guy yeah he is uh, that's his job he doesn't he doesn't I think over forecast out of any fear of anybody he's just a very optimistic man yes. if you actually get to know him he's just really optimistic he's, he's a, not very he's realistic he's a happy optimistic person yeah and there is a lot of that. You know, I'm a miserable... Well, that's miserable. part of his charm. That's why people buy from him, because he's a happy guy. Why the fuck do people buy from me, then? Because I'm a miserable cynical well, we'll do the way around it, aren't we? But I think the sales guys that we deal with, <laughs> the decision makers we deal with... So I got an offer on Friday, and the, the sales uh, director, who you know, first name begins with a T, he went, Mike, am I going to close this guy? I said, probably not. No. He went, why not? And I told him, and he went, right, fair enough. Yeah. But he wants to know that. But that's part of your value add. That's going back a bit to, yeah, to the yeah. concepts you value add in the conversation. So yeah, okay. And I think that's a really important point is the optimism. Let's get it right. If you if you were doing psychometric testing, one of the things you'd look for is optimism. Is optimism. So it has to be I, I, I wouldn't get a job. I don't <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't I think if I if I had to go for a job and somebody put me through a psychometric test, it would come up as grumpy, cynical, pessimistic. Cynical it would come up with. Negative. I wouldn't say grumpy, it'd say cynical. You know, I, I, I look at every deal and my first question is, give me a reason why it's not fucked. Well, this is an interesting one for you too. Requalify the qualified. What's interesting in sales recruitment is, so I'll take some feedback from you. So where does this rank, Jonathan? It's top. What have you got on the go? Nothing. Speak to you in two days' time. Where does this rank? It's second. But actually, how often do you requalify everybody all the time? Yeah. How often do I 
our sales guys that we place. Well, how we often, all hear what often because we're optimists. Because we're optimists. We don't bother asking. Well, apart from me, who's who's grumpy and consistently assumes every deal's lost until Correct. it's won. Correct. But that's not enough. I've got, you know, you wouldn't believe I was only 27. <laughs> it's it's not a nice way anyway, to li- it's not a nice way to live your life. That's the end of the part. It is. So that's been a fun show. We're moving towards the final furlong next week, and then after that, Andy is going to take the IRC hot seat. Mike, he's going to be an interesting fella to me. I think. Well, like we always get with all these authors, they just provide context around the book that we haven't had previously. I've got to tell you, parts we're doing part seven and eight next week. I hated part seven. <laughs> and at that I, one, you loved it. <laughs> and at that, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. 